Thanks so much for having me, everybody. I've been looking forward to this. I want to start with just a word of appreciation to AHA Process for, for a couple things. First of all, for um, inviting me to be a part of this webinar and hosting these types of uh, forums. But I think more importantly, really for the principles and constructs of Bridges Out of Poverty and the Getting Ahead Network. If we tell our Schenectady story, the turning point took place in around 2009. That's when we connected with Bridges Out of Poverty. And so many of the breakthroughs we have had in Schenectady are directly connected to our partnership with AHA Process and other Bridges communities around the country. So first of all, thank you. Now, I'd like to open with a story. Um, and this story involves a Getting Ahead program that we run in Schenectady County at the Drug Court. Now, most of you probably know um, what a drug court is here in Schenectady County. It is that final stop before you go to jail or prison. These are for folks that have committed criminal offenses, have substance abuse problems, and the criminal justice system says, we're going to give you one more chance here. And if you engage and complete this program, you do not have to be incarcerated. So we have found getting ahead to be a great vehicle for the judges and those who run getting ahead, at a recent, or who run drug court. At a recent graduation, one of the graduates came forward. Here's what he said. He said, first of all, I never thought I would be in a courtroom and people would be cheering for me, which I thought was just a great line uh, that he had. But then he went on to say that as a man, I've never looked up to another man. But I really look up to Eddie and Charles because they both have a ton of garbage like me, but they turn theirs into gold. I, I think there's a lot there. I, I think what comes out is the fact, first of all, the value of getting ahead. Because he also talked about how great it was to be in a room with couches and food and comfortable chairs, not to feel like it was an institution. But one of the most important takeaways in Bridges movement is our commitment to developing indigenous leaders, men and women who have been in poverty, who have had difficult backgrounds, who are gifted leaders, and they can get to places and they can turn hearts and they can give hope that many of us can't give. And in this man's story, there's nothing I could have said to him to really make him want to dig in and, and dream of a better future. But when he saw two men whose stories were so similar, but as he said, same garbage, but they turned theirs into gold, it gave him hope that things could really be different. And if you look up on the mental model where it says Schenectady Bridges are transformed transformational movement, you see that one of the key components is indigenous leadership. So that's really um, first and foremost. The other things that we're looking to achieve are to empower employment and education. As we like to say, there's only one way out of poverty. You have to work your way out. So if we're not building important job training placement and perhaps even more important retention programs, we're not going to help people get out of poverty. Um, safe and stable neighborhoods, and then multi-sector collaboration. And I want to move to the next, which is when I say multi-sector collaboration, here's what I'm referring to. Now, here in Schenectady, we believe there's eight sectors in any community. These are our sectors. Uh, you may feel yours are different. There's certainly nothing um, solid about these, but we identify them as arts and entertainment, business, education, the faith faith-based community, right, that can be church, synagogue, mosque, a lot of diversity there, government, healthcare, the media, and social sector. 
And it's really important to, to understand that if we're going to have a bridges movement that goes across the community and has community-wide impact, we have to work across sectors. Uh, it's not adequate to simply have dynamic and meaningful partnerships within the social sector. There is the truth that scarcity can create opportunity. Um, that's completely true today because there was a day perhaps in America where each sector had enough resources to be successful, to achieve its mission. A great example of that would be school districts, right, particularly in cities. They really didn't need to collaborate because they had the resources they needed to achieve their mission. At least here in Schenectady, and I think in a lot of urban districts across the country, that's just not the case anymore. Um, so schools have to decide whether they're going to start collaborating with other entities, even ones very different from us, or we're going to be chronically under-resourced. So however you divide the sectors, please make sure that you're thinking multi-sector as you plan your bridges movement. We have different definitions, and this is just a fact sheet for what we call Schenectady Bridges, a transformational movement. This was really the driving document that landed us a $1 million grant from a local foundation, the Schenectady Foundation, that started November 2014. And the only definition I want to pull out now is where you see transform. And we say to transform is to change in character and condition. I think we all think of transformation as changing conditions, but I want to look for just a moment that we're also looking to change the character of a community. And what I mean by that is changing people's perspectives. One of the great things about Bridges on Poverty and those of us who are engaged in it is when we see people in poverty, we don't simply see problems or need. Uh, those things are evident, they are real, they need to be addressed, but we see problem solvers. We see potential leaders. We see giftedness. One of the key things to really build the Bridges movement is we're helping others transform their perspective of how they view people in poverty and how do people get out of poverty. A saying that I use a lot is we can never solve the problems of poverty in our community until we stop viewing people in poverty as problems that need to be managed and start seeing them as problem solvers and potential solutions that need to be invested in. See, for those of us coming from the social sector, we really have the golden ticket here because we, we have earned and built trust. A lot of the other sectors who are working with people in poverty don't have that. So we have a lot to offer when we um, go across sector to help. Another paradigm shift is with business. There's always been a partnership between business and social sector, but I think historically it's been largely philanthropic. Successful businesses gave money to agencies and organizations that were doing good work. That's great. I hope that continues to grow. Today, more and more, particularly for entities that are schooled and trained in bridges, principles, and constructs, we're not only bringing our needs to businesses, we're bringing solutions. We're building, we're bringing those relationships. So we really can boldly go out there and, and talk about helping businesses be more profitable. Kind of the nice part of that is if we do that, we're going to see more philanthropy come our way as well. The next just kind of an updated fact sheet. We won't go too deeply into it, but it just shows some of the highlights when we presented to the foundation. In the lower right-hand corner, it shows some of our key collaborative partners. 
talked about employer resource network. Um, I'll talk about that later, getting ahead, how many graduates we've had, our teen development program, and a few other um, breakthroughs that we've had that I'll, I'll talk about in more detail as the, the webinar goes on. One I would like to highlight a little bit now is if you look at social enterprise, we're continually asked by funders, how are you going to be sustainable? Um, that's a great question. It's, it's an important question. Uh, what, one thing we've developed is the money you're giving us is allowing us to create our own businesses, our own enterprises that are producing revenue. So out of the grant we got, we've been able to take people in poverty, getting ahead graduates, and we've been able to instill those principles and constructs and are actually using them to build businesses now that are bringing revenue back into the program. So that's a great opportunity. If you haven't engaged in social enterprise yet, that's something we could talk about in more detail. But um, I want to at least give you a kind of a broad view of what we're doing. Because the foundation is our main supporter, we came up with a slogan for them that we are, and we see them as a foundation for building sustainable people, programs, partnerships, and places. So we try increasingly, the work we're all doing is so complex, right? How do we create brands that make it memorable and understandable for others? This is just quickly a, a kind of mental model to show who's involved and the different things we're working on. Um, again, you have to keep on trying to take our complex work and make it understandable. This is what we call our dashboard. And those of you who have looked at some of the AHA process materials, we took this format directly uh, from some charts that AHA process had a couple things to highlight. Uh, far right column, our employer resource network has worked with over 1,500 employees uh, doing job retention work and career development work. Uh, we Since November 2014, we've trained 1,369 people in Bridges Out of Poverty classes, 212 graduates and getting ahead. So we're trying to show our funders in easy-to-understand ways some of the impact that we're making. This is where I want to kind of move from what we're doing in Schenectady because, you know, obviously for us it's the most interesting thing in the world, but I'm not sure it's really that interesting to anybody else. What I really want to dedicate most of this webinar to is how do we lead movement? Because we have to be good at two things. We have to be able to run effective programs. We have to have mastery of, of bridges, principles, and constructs. We have to help people get stronger and, and understand hidden rules and things like that. But we also have to be really good leaders. And a movement is something that's way beyond our organization or even our sector. And to me, the key quote on this is the one up above. A movement is like a river. It cannot be controlled, but merely influenced. So some of the things we've learned is we have to really embrace the fact that the best we can hope for is influence. If you're leading a Bridges movement in your community, you will never have control of it. And the more you try to get control, the more you're going to drive people away from it. So number one, embrace the fact that movements are about influence, but that there's a lot of ways to gain influence far beyond the size of your agency, far beyond your job title. And the first one, of course, is that influence grows through relationships. Um, that's one that we should all understand, but the biggest thing we want to be in the community 
is relationship builders. Alignment comes from the attraction of win-win opportunities, not commanding alignment. I don't know about you, but I have no authority outside my agency. Sometimes I even wonder what authority I have inside the agency. But I have zero anywhere else. So my job is not to convince people to get along with what I think we should do. My job is to create these win-win opportunities where I really have an understanding of what their needs are and trust that if I do that, we're going to get some alignment. I'll talk about that in a moment. We have to embrace a shift from a hierarchical organization to a diverse network, right? If you're leading an organization like I am, it's appropriate to think of organizational hierarchy that has its place. It has very little place outside in the community. And because of bridges, uh, particularly the four causes of poverty that I'm all familiar with, we can build remarkably diverse networks. I think that's one of the most exciting things. And we have bridges gatherings in Schenectady. I think we're the envy of every political gathering in America because we have all the spectrums covered from extreme conservative to extreme liberal. These are groups that otherwise can't get under the same roof, but because of this movement and our commitment to studying bridges together, we are able to create a, a real collaboration with such diversity. I think movements are more like piloting a sailboat rather than driving a speedboat. Um, when you're excited about where you want to go, it's easy to think about horsepower and throttling down and overcoming all the wind and all the waves and all the resistance to get there. Leading a movement is almost the opposite. It is certainly knowing where you want to go, but it's all about studying the wind, studying the waves, and tapping into those things and seeing them as really the driving force rather than as obstacles that have to be cleared. And the last one that I'll talk about more later is that a small reality is more compelling than a grand theory. So here's some things that, that we've done that what we call the five L's of being a, a leader in a movement. And the five L's, as you can see, look, listen, learn, link, and lead. Uh, Jerry Panis is a great writer on fundraising for organizations. He writes this. He says, the other person's agenda, as long as it is consistent with your values and ethics, is your true north when it comes to building relationships. And so when I say look and listen and learn, what I'm really talking about is what are the agendas of other entities in our community? of other social sector organizations, of businesses, of schools, of local governments, right? You, you should know more of their agendas than anybody else in the community. The leader of a movement is going to know more about others than anybody else does. So it's, again, if you go back to that sailing analogy, people who who pilot sailboats, I wish I was one of them, I'm not, but they're always looking, they're always listening, they're always learning what's happening with the wind and the waves, and they are tapping into that to create directional movement where they want to go. If you're the best looker, the best listener, the best learner in the community, then you are going to be able to create linkages of win-win programs that are going to be very compelling to people 
And if you're the one or if your group is the one that is creating these win-win programs, you are going to gain the influence to be a leader. A couple examples of that in Schenectady. I have here the, the slide of what our Getting Ahead Network is. And one of them is the Schenectady County Public Library. This was us going to the library. Really, just we just started taking walks through the library. Now, we had no idea what we wanted to do. We just knew they were a key partner. So we just started studying the library, had some meetings with the director, asking um, what her biggest needs were. And what she came up with, she said, particularly in the wintertime, the library is almost more like a drop-in center uh, for people in need than it is even an educational center. People go to the library to get out of the cold, to have something to do, just a place to be. She says, we're happy with that. But she said, I wish we had more to offer them than simply warmth and a comfortable chair. So we told her about getting ahead. She said, let's try it. We took one of our getting ahead graduates, and he was given permission to go around the library and invite people to join a getting ahead program that would be offered in the library's premier conference room. So it wasn't just downstairs, it was upstairs in this glass conference room overlooking the facility. Refreshments would be served. And the real incentive, what he had to sell was the library was saying, if you join the course, we will put a hold on all your fines, right? Because a lot of the people who go there every day can't take stuff out because they have outstanding fines. And if you graduate getting ahead, all your fines will be eliminated. Well, that drew some people, and the Getting Ahead program was just a great success. People were having their aha moments. People were developing future stories. And the more people that joined, the more future stories emerged, the more excited the library became. One of our graduates who now works at the mission said to me, she said, you know, Mike, when I started getting ahead of the library, I only did it to have my fines waived. But she said about halfway through, I didn't care about the fines anymore. I just wanted to learn more about getting ahead. I wanted to do more about my future story. So that, that's just an example. But what I want to share is we never had the idea of doing getting ahead classes in the library. We're not smart enough to come up with these things. It emerged completely from a need that the library had. There's a, there's a lesson here. I'm going to tell another one of these stories, that if you build the program around what your partner says, feels, and needs, you do not have to sell them on value. I think so much time can be spent that we're trying to sell people on the value of what we're offering. And that can be exhausting. But if, if we are actually designing programs based on looking, based on listening, based on learning, we don't have to be sellers of value because they have already articulated that's what their need is. Another example that emerged as part of our Bridges communities, I went to a, an elementary school in Schenectady a few years ago to do a Bridges presentation. That was my goal there, to sell Bridges. Presentation went well, but on the way out the door, the principal shared with me that a lot of the children don't eat on the weekends which really stopped me in my tracks. That was the last thing I went there to hear or, or to even really think about. Um, but I, I realized that that was going to be the opportunity. So we started, we adopted the first grade. I think we had no money. 
Uh, we had really no resources, but I knew this had to be the open door. So we started that first year with um, eight children from the first grade. That was five years ago. Uh, today, as you can see from the slide there, we're helping now we're over 1,000 children each week of the school year. What happened is some corporations heard about what we were doing. They were able to document that the kids getting the weekend meals, better behavior, better attendance, better grades. And now they, they created a three-year grant. And all the momentum now is to um, keep on growing the number of children we're helping. That led us to create something that we call the virtual neighborhood, where we realized it was great helping the kids with food, but they also needed clothing. Uh, the school nurses needed medical supplies. Um, they needed winter gear for kids. They needed change of clothes. They needed uh, school supplies. They needed tutoring assistance. We saw that, okay, that is our bridges opportunity. We can't create a physical neighborhood. We can create a, a virtual neighborhood put here in which we are constantly connecting the need with existing resources. So I, I show you these to kind of say that none of these we set out to achieve. What we did set out to achieve was going back to a transformed neighborhood, a neighborhood that was empowering education and employment, a neighborhood that was developing indigenous leaders, uh, a community that was becoming more safe and stable, and one that was multi-sector in its collaboration. So it was really kind of sailing along the waters of community life that, that got us to these breakthroughs. The next how-to is something I presented before. But I think it's a real important step if you're going to be growing your bridges movement. We call this train, embed, model, and spread. And, and what I want to say is a lot of us, when we get bridges training, we're getting ahead training. We're so excited because the material is so good. And, and so when you're excited about something, you want to tell others. You want to get other people on board because you realize, hey, if we're being trained on this and we're embedding it, right, we're, we're putting it to work in our own organization, wouldn't it be great if more people did this? First thing I want to say about a Bridges movement is you always start with the willing. Um, sometimes there's an anxiety when you have a movement going about who isn't at the table. And I think that's a mistake. You always start with who is at the table, and don't be worried about who isn't there. You, you can get them in other ways. Um, and the best way to win new people to the table is not through argument, but through attraction. And that's what we talk about, train and bed model, okay? That a model, you take what you've learned, you put it into practice, and you create a compelling model. And that model is what allows you to spread bridges and spread your movement to new agencies, new people, new sectors. This is the quote we talked about before, and it may, might be the most important one to take away from this webinar today. In building movement, a small reality is more compelling than a grand theory. And I think sometimes we work so hard to perfect the argument, to get mastery of the principles and constructs. But you know what? People are busy. People are inherently doubtful and cynical. People can rarely be convinced by argument. But if you can create a new reality, they can't argue with that. And if you can show them that reality, that's where they have their ah moment. Um, 
one of our examples, and this is something that we've talked about a lot, so I don't want to get into it too much, but I, but I still, for those of you who aren't aware of it, um, at least tell you what this ambassador's program was. City Mission, we're located right in downtown Schenectady, and for many years, downtown was like a lot of downtowns, you know, urban downtowns in the Northeast. They were pretty much ghost towns. Business had moved out to the suburbs, um, and social agencies kind of filled up the empty space. Well, about eight, nine years ago, revitalization started happening. And what happens in a lot of cities when businesses start moving into the downtown is they start colliding with the social sector agencies that are already there, right? We, we understand that. If I just spent my life savings on opening a restaurant and I happen to be located next to a drug and alcohol treatment center and the clients of that center spoke on breaks because they can't smoke inside and they're smoking in front of my restaurant. Well, you, you all know the, the deal here. It's a real collision because you can understand why the business owner would be concerned. And yet we also understand why people have a right to be out there. And most communities kind of devolve into an either-or battle of going to win economic development or helping people in need. Uh, trying to follow that look, listen, learn, and link mentality. I went to the CEO of Proctor's Theater, which in Schenectady is a 2,700-seat beautiful theater that is the epicenter of downtown's revitalization. And I asked the CEO, how can City Mission help you be more successful. Um, he's a great guy, so I think a lesser man would have said, well, how about if you move, right? Because City Mission, we're right across the street from the theater. Uh, he's a good guy. He did not say that. He said, here's our need. He goes, we have a lot of people coming to downtown. They haven't been here in a long time. They don't think it's safe, even though it is, but it's dark, it's cold. They park in this big garage, and they are anxious and on edge even before they get into the theater. He said, I just wish... We had people to go out and greet our guests, make them feel welcome. Well, to be honest with you folks, that's not what I wanted to do. It was getting to be winter time, um, but he said that was his need. So I said, good, for the next three months, every night there's a show at your theater. It's called Proctor's Theater. City Mission residents and staff will go out and we'll greet your guests. Okay, we called ourselves the ambassadors. We had flashlights and red coats. Uh, most importantly, I did not need to convince the CEO that this was worth trying because uh, he had said that's what his need was. Well, long story short, the ambassador's program became so successful that after a three-month pilot, I was literally um, called upon by the economic development district saying kind of what would it take for you to keep this going? If we pay your residents, would that allow you to keep this program going. So that kind of shocked me. And so out of that pilot, a whole new business emerged in which city mission residents and graduates are now providing a hospitality service all around this theater. Uh, that went on for a couple of years, and one of the businessmen called me up and said, how come we don't get ambassadors? I, I said, well, Proctor's pays for them. He said, well, then we're going to start paying for them. And we actually have raisers now in downtown where the businesses raise money so that our ambassadors can get out to their businesses. I like the joke that uh, downtown Schenectady is one of the only downtowns in America where the business people pay the homeless to stand in front of their businesses and greet their customers. So it's been a great story beyond the job that's created, 
Um, it's done an amazing thing, as you can imagine, for our folks. Our ambassadors are all getting ahead graduates. The joy I have to see them as stakeholders in revitalization. They are not on the outside looking in. They haven't been disenfranchised from economic development. What we're celebrating in Schenectady is that our economic development is including the whole community. Our ambassadors have become role models for other people. And I could do a whole webinar on the benefits that the ambassadors program has created. Uh, you talk about tr transforming the character or changing character. It's changed the character of our downtown community. People view people in poverty through a different lens now because of this program. One thing I'd like to add before transitioning is if you're starting a new model, I really recommend you do a pilot. Um, sometimes when we've got a really good program, we're so excited to launch it. No matter how good your program is, no matter how much of a no-brainer it is or how much of a can't-miss you think it is, commit to a pilot. Pilots do two things. First of all, it lowers the threshold of getting in and, and trying something new because people realize they're not signing on forever. It also, if it doesn't work, it gives you an out without having to declare failure. In the ambassador's case, I committed to three months. So even if it was a nightmare, we could live up to those three months and we could feel good that we lived up to our obligation and that would probably build some goodwill. Um, just the opposite happened. That pilot was so compelling that it became a permanent program. Last year, our ambassadors uh, registered 8,000 hours of work in the Schenectady area, and we have since taken it to Albany, New York, and, and even Saratoga. We started a pilot last summer in Saratoga, New York. The, the success of the ambassadors program led us to create a whole new entity called Schenectady Works. So again, notice the sailing aspect here. I never had a vision for Schenectady Works. Uh, it just started um, evolving, and we realized that we had a big opportunity now to portray our Bridges movement as passionate about putting people to work. We knew that would be exciting for business. We knew that would attract donors who sometimes see places like City Mission as good and doing good work, but you know, is it enough to simply make people safe or give them shelter? They, they've got to go to work, and we certainly concur with that. So the ambassadors program led to Schenectady Works, and we started a new program this year that I'm really excited about called Healthcare Ambassadors. You all are aware of the great healthcare reform going on across the country. One group that was charged to, in a sense, reinvent, reinvent healthcare in Schenectady saw our downtown ambassadors and said, would your people be willing to become healthcare ambassadors? Now, you all who know Bridges will get this real quick why this worked. One of the challenges of healthcare reform is they have to go get people who are off the grid, people who don't use primary care, people who are not engaged in preventative care, people who are distrustful of hospitals and doctors, and as a result, wait till they get really sick, end up going to emergency rooms, and not only cost the system a lot of money, but make their lives much more difficult than it would be otherwise. So we knew that was a win-win, because not only would it help the system financially, but we want our people to be engaged in preventative care and primary care. So what was happening is social workers who do great work aren't necessarily the best people to go off the grid 
discover people who are hanging out in libraries, people who are on the streets, people who are living in projects, and get them to take a confidential health survey. So one of um, our ambassadors is a great entrepreneur and salesman. We made him our healthcare ambassador. And I'll just say for the record, um, the Healthcare Alliance gave us goals to see if we could meet, and I believe he beat them by 400%. So our ambassadors now are making a difference in healthcare reform in Schenectady, but you know the rest of the story. It's creating jobs for them. Uh, it's giving them an exciting future story. They're helping their neighbors find better pathways to healthcare. And what do you think is happening to the paradigm of our community? What's happening to the character of our community in terms of how they view people in poverty or people who have been incarcerated or people who have been homeless. They are increasingly coming to see them as we see our folks as problem solvers. I'll just kind of scan through quite simply the 21st century career readiness credential. Businesses were telling us people come to us, they don't know about the workplace and we don't have time to train them. Uh, we also heard the same thing from our local community college. So we formed a partnership between Schenectady Bridges, the community college and businesses that we would do a training program to give people a credential so if they show up at your business with this certificate, you know they have gone through a lot of hidden rules, they've gone through a lot of soft skills that employers are looking for. As part of being involved with Bridges, we came to understand that we needed to develop retention programs, that our community was pretty rich in training and placement programs, but nobody was really doing anything for retention. Particularly if you look at the data that says when someone who's been chronically unemployed gets a job, on average it takes them six years in the workplace before they're sustainable. Well, there's no programs out there that give you a six-year bridge to, to find sustainability. We all know stories of people who want to work, who are passionate about work, but life interrupts, and because they don't have a lot of personal capital, uh, whether it's um, physical capital or relational capital, a flat tire or a fender bender can cost them their job. Um, so we did a study around the nation for some best practices, and we were tapping into the Bridges community. We met James Vanderholt out in Western Michigan and discovered his employer resource network. We adopted that in Schenectady, and we started with five businesses in 2014 um, to join our employer resource network. I can't give you all the details of what we do, but this was the regional business magazine did a report after the first year called Mission Possible, Coach Workers to Productivity. Love the headline, turnover stops with her. For the record, I want to say we have not prevented turnover. Uh, we have not lived up to that billing, but we've made a big difference. And what we have gotten um, employers to see is that the Schenectady Bridges Coalition or places like City Mission can do more than um, receive philanthropy. Um, they can actually help businesses. And if you look at our growth, this chart shows that Employer Resource Network started in 2014 um, with five business members. By the end of 2016, we had 30 business members. We're now up into the mid-30s. We started with one full-time success coach at the end of last year, five full-time success coaches. We just added a sixth coach. This region has grown beyond Schenectady. You can see Schenectady area, Capital Region, 
North Country and Mohawk Valley. And we've been able to help really now over 2,000 employees who most of them are under-resourced, stay on the job. You can see our retention rate is high. And we're able to demonstrate businesses that they have to buy shares of our success coaches, that they pay us for this service, that we can show them close to a 300% return on their investment, let alone the growth um, in morale in their company. Uh, the last thing I want to go over quickly before we have some questions, and hopefully we will, challenge it. Because, boy, the, the last thing I would want to imply is we have figured out how to do this seamlessly or in a neat and tidy way. Absolutely not. It, it is making sausage. Uh, it's very messy. We have a lot of failures, a lot of setbacks, and every day we have challenges and new challenges appear. So uh, if you're facing all those things, uh, we're with you every step of the way. A couple of challenges that we've learned. One is we came up with this model uh, for building sustainable people. When we work with people over a long period of time, we do see, as you can see from that arrow, that there is a rise to their level of living, the quality of their life, their, their building of resources, their, their growth in bridging capital, uh, their progress towards sustainability is real over time. But their chart is not that ascending arrow. It kind of looks more like the EKG there, right? That one day they're doing very well and we're celebrating it, then they come in the next day and they want to quit, right? So. Um, the path that people take, even towards sustainability, is very rocky. So, you know, we know that's the journey we're taking with people. And you just got to know that. That's a great challenge that no one can just punch somebody on direct ascent. So that's draining. We also have to make sure our partners are aware of it. So they don't want to pull the plug when we're on one of those uh, down slopes, right? Because we know that if we hang in there for so many people, they will continue to make it over time. Other challenges, uh, reporting data has been a big one, right? Funders increasingly want data, and um, that's hard to get. If you went back to our dashboard, we work with a lot of ground-level groups who do amazing work in our community. They're, they're priceless in terms of this movement, but they're not great on getting data. And if you look at our dashboard chart, you'll see the first four columns. There is no data report there because we know our funders are doing good work. We can see the result of what they're doing, but I think they're so, so under pressure trying to keep their, their doors open and, and, and deal with the people they're helping that they don't have the capacity to produce the data that we are hoping for and that our funders are looking for. So. That's always a problem, and I think if you're like me, increasingly philanthropists uh, want qualitative and quantitative data, right? They want metrics. They want um, not just good stories. We can always provide those, but they want um, hard proof that you're making a difference. Um, keeping the key players at the table, CEOs, right? One thing I've learned, uh, we work with people that are living the tyranny of the urgent, most CEOs of most social sector organizations, and I kind of put myself in this list, we're living our own tyranny of the urgent. So we might want to get to these planning meetings, these touching base meetings, but boy, something blows up in our own organization, and we kind of increasingly are drawn to the urgent, even sometimes at the expense of the important. The next one is 
something that I've really experienced, and this is a growing passion of mine. I call it gifted leaders versus mediocre administrators. A lot of our key partners in our Bridges collaboration are men and women who have come up out of poverty, maybe have come out of prison, and they have started these grassroots movements. And they are dynamic, and they are making a difference. Because of their success, they're attracting funds. But what happens when you attract more funds? Funders need you to have more administrative capacity. Did you have an audit, right? Are you reporting back to the metrics that they're asking for? And what often happens is the gifted leader who started the organization now becomes a mediocre administrator because they're realizing that if they don't administrate these requests, they won't have the funding, right? And we allow in the community gifted leaders to have to become administrators. Um, I like to say it would like be asking Rembrandt uh, to run an art school. Now, you don't want Rembrandt dealing with the administrative challenges of running a school. You want him on the canvas. You want him creating beautiful art. So we're trying to structure some backroom capacity in the community so that the funders are getting what they need from our partners. They have every right to ask for things like audits and um, metrics, but we don't want the movers and shakers at ground level to leave the ground in order to achieve these things. So we're working on that. Now, there's always the challenge of how to effectively coalesce resources in real time. The good news in our community is a lot of resources. The bad news is very often, way too often, um, the need doesn't meet the resource in real time and an opportunity is wasted. Uh, we are working now with Empower, which is certainly a Bridges partner, uh, to try to see if we can improve that. And the last one that we're really struggling with is social enterprise is a good thing. When we started our social enterprises, we told everybody that they would be 100% fundable and they would not need any philanthropy. And after about six months, uh, year through, we realized we can't make them 100% fundable with their revenues because the folks that are running those enterprises need a whole lot of continued support that costs money to provide them support. So we've come up with a new reality for us that it's really a 70-30 split, that we can generate 70% um, of the revenues on what we're selling, so to speak, but we do need philanthropy. And we've had to develop a philanthropic outreach stemming from our social enterprise. So those are just some of the um, principles, constructs, uh, lessons we've learned in leading movements and some of the challenges. So I've talked and we got about 15 minutes left. So would love to hear any questions that you all have. Uh, first question from Lori Miller is asking about the size of Schenectady in your community. Okay. Lori, Schenectady, the city of Schenectady is about 65,000 people. Our county is about 130,000. Uh, the county is pretty stable, the, the surrounding suburbs. The city is in great need, uh, probably typical of a lot of northeast um, urban centers. Um, in our school district, um, a lot of the elementary schools are 100% free and reduced lunches. I believe the poverty rate in Schenectady is about 28 to 30%. And they're expecting in the city oh, close to 50% of the children are food insecure. So um, that, that's the basic size of it. Thanks. Another question. Tell us more about the pilot with employers. Are they hiring getting ahead grants? Yeah, thank you for that. And, and that is beginning to happen. Um, 
we are seeing that we can get our getting ahead graduates placed. Um, what we're trying to do a better job of, and I think where we failed is we knew the potential of these getting ahead graduates, but we never showed the employer that slide that I just showed you about kind of the EKG of sustainability. So um, what we're doing is learning to be more honest about the fact that this person really can be an asset to you, but this is their life situation. Uh, but really the way we're doing that is trying to make sure that uh, we're placing people in companies that are part of our employer resource network. Because we know that if they're part of the employer resource network, one of our success coaches is in the business. And they can start dealing with these things so upper management or even HR doesn't have to be consumed. It's not becoming a barrier to, to hiring. So absolutely, we are seeing new momentum build in which as we're demonstrating new models, uh, there's more and more interest for our graduates, and, and it's really growing into a win-win. But as you know from your own stories, um, every victory creates a new set of problems, a new set of challenges. So we're trying to wrestle with that now. Absolutely. Um, Stephanie has sort of a two-part question here uh, on the getting ahead side of things. Are there others doing the class in the community besides the mission? Is the first part, so maybe we can address that. Yes, um, the mission, we certainly have our getting ahead classes, but we are also, as I said, we're at the library, we're in drug court, we're doing getting ahead classes at public housing, um, we're doing it at some of the treatment centers, so it's a pretty diverse group right now. Our next goal is to get in the schools and offer getting ahead classes for parents. So um, that's, that's something, still a lot of room for growth. As far as funding the class, well, you know, in the early days, it was kind of just kind of scraping things together, um, but the pilots have been so successful that the same foundation that gave us the grant to build the Bridges Transformation Movement is now looking, they're very interested in directly funding getting ahead classes because they're seeing the product. So that's, again, my encouragement to you all. Uh, it's hard to get funding for theory. But if you can just create a small reality and, and learn how to show that new reality to employers, um, pilots can lead to, to long-term sustainability. And the way we're recruiting participants, Stephanie, is it's really word of mouth or sending our graduates out. They are the best ambassadors of getting ahead. So they are the graduates, right, the investigators who have graduated, have graduated are becoming the best recruiters of new investigators. So it's a good formula. Thanks, Mike. I want to remind folks that Mike is a national consultant and is available to come. Um, if, if you'd like to hear more from Mike or have him join your team uh, as you're getting uh, your Bridges Initiative started. Uh, next question, Mike, um, is about your ERN. How, how did you get it started? That's a question we often hear at AHA. Yeah, thank you for that question. As I said, we did kind of a, a national study on best practices and when um, Nathan Monsager who runs our Schenectady Works program came back he really thought that the ERN was the right fit for us so we met with James Vanderholz who's the founder uh, found out he did have not only an interest but some capacity to set up other ERNs across the country and he we, we applied to him and he received us as a trial pilot um, employer Resource Network in what he called Upstate New York. So James provided all the training for us. And, and then what we did is we simply went out, we went into our inner circle, 
and we found five businesses. The original five were all part of the Bridges community. So there was that trust. There was that relationship that preexisted. We got them to buy in. Uh, the grant from the Schenectady Foundation allowed us to make up the deficit, so we had funding for the pilot. And then Real Life took over. Uh, we went from theory to model, and the model then became the thing that attracted new businesses to join. What's really exciting for us is the greatest ambassadors for the Employer Resource Network are the human resource professionals. They tell their colleagues, you need to do this. If I walk into a hospital and say, um, City Mission has an answer for your retention problems, I think they would quickly show me the door. But when a fellow human resource professional calls and says, do this, it works, uh, the door is open for us. That's a great point. Um, I was asked about your workforce and your staff, and, and has it increased as you expanded to um, tackle more challenges? Yes, it, ha it has increased. As a matter of fact, the Schenectady Works program began four years ago, and now it's up to a million-dollar-a-year operation. So we've hired a lot more people. We're actually in the we started it at the mission and an extra office we had. Uh, then we had to rent a building in downtown Schenectady. Now we're in the process of trying to purchase a new building. So there you go, right? Every victory, selling the space isn't big enough. We have to hire more people to get the job done. Now we're having to engage in a capital campaign to try to create some, some better space. And we're also looking to create a new getting ahead headquarters. Um, so all that is true, Pat, as you described it. Workforce increases, but simultaneously, our indigenous leaders are increasing. And we are seeing men and women become higher profile role models uh, to really go out and give hope to others that maybe have given up on work. So it's taking a lot more than we set out to do, but we wouldn't give it up for anything. We're more excited than ever. I want to take the opportunity to thank everyone uh, one more time for being with us here. I want to thank Mike uh, for being with us and taking the time out of his day. Thank you, David. My privilege.